We will now hear from Bob Jordan and Terry McNeil and Rovina Windsor. Good morning. Spring 1970, the ecology movement was gaining momentum. Richard Nixon did a lot of bad things in his life, but he did at least one good thing. He proposed and then signed into legislation the Environmental Protection Agency, which began operating on December 2nd, 1970. The EPA has the responsibility of writing and enforcing regulations that protect the environment and regulate environmental effects on human health. The Clean Air Act, which regulates air pollution, was signed by President Nixon on December 31, 1970. And the Clean Water Act, which protects lakes and rivers from pollution and degradation, was signed by Nixon in 72. Ecologically oriented students at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville organized to celebrate the first Earth Day in the spring of 1970, and I was among them. There were both where there were booths promoting clean air and water and wind and solar energy development. I enlisted my father to create a poster based on, a, I think, a quote credited to Aldo Leopold, who wrote a pioneering environmental book entitled The Sand County Almanac, which I recommend to all of you to read. The quote from Leopold is as follows. What good is a rhinoceros? Who needs a rhinoceros? But then who needs a trumpeter swan, or a panda, or a pygmy, or a bushman, or fill in the blank. My dad, who was a commercial artist, made an ink drawing of, the, of a rhinoceros, and we added the quote below it. From this, we created a silkscreen and made numerous copies. And here it is. The, the, the one copy that I know is still remaining. Can you all see that? I still have one deteriorating. This, this copy here is deteriorating. I don't know how much it'll long, longer to last because the papers, you know, the, the, the uh, sulfur type paper, I believe that's right. And, and it um, destroys itself. It, it self-destructs. On a trip back to Knoxville about 15 years ago, I happened to visit the biology lab, and there was a copy of it hanging on the wall of the lab. Someone thought enough of it to preserve it for the students to see for all those years. To me, what it represents is that all of nature is interconnected and that we cannot separate our well-being as humans from the whole of the natural environment. At that time, I enrolled in a general ecology course for non-majors, and we read books like Rachel Carson's Silent Spring and Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb, as well as Aldo Leopold's Sand County Almanac. The Silent Spring sounded the alarm that indiscriminate spraying of DDT was killing birds and other animals. And it resulted in legislation which banned DDT in this country. 
I'm sorry to say that it's still being sprayed in other countries, and we manufacture it. She is given major credit for helping to spark the environmental movement. Aldo Leopold's book urged people to protect wild and undisturbed undisturbed environments. The population bomb painted a bleak picture of our earth and the people living in it if the population continued to expand at the same rate. I was transformed by my experience that year, and so I tried to do my little bit, so I try now to do my little bit to preserve and enhance nature, although sometimes I get discouraged that my effect on the environment is more destructive than enhancing. I plant fruit trees and raise vegetables in my backyard. I have solar panels on my roof and I drive a Prius. I contribute contribute money to the Nature Conservancy, the Environmental Defense Fund, the Natural Resources Defense Council, the World Wildlife Fund, the Wilderness Society, the National Park Foundation, among others. Since 1970, our rivers and lakes and the air we breathe are cleaner than back then in 1970. We don't choke on burning coal smoke like the Londoners of Dickens' time. But present-day unregulated industrial production in China has created so much air and water pollution that it has adversely affected the health of its citizens and has created political unrest. We actually have enlightened laws in the U.S. that have improved the quality of our environment. But corporations and politicians are relentlessly attempting to reduce funding of the EPA and to decrease enforcement of environmental regulations. As citizens, we must be vigilant and, at the same time, celebrate the natural wonders of the earth. So happy Earth Day. Thank you. morning. Thank you, Bob. It must be neat being able to be a part of that first Earth Day. Earth Day represents a time of reflection in the busy and sometimes chaotic environment in which we find ourselves engaged on a seemingly daily basis. This time of reflection can serve as a point of return or an anchor point, if you will, reminding us of a forgotten connection, a connection with our earth mother and all of her children. And like an annual family reunion, we're given an opportunity to reconnect with family members we've not seen in a while, to reconnect with a forgotten aspect of ourselves. And though we formally celebrate this reunion only once a year, in actuality, it should be celebrated on a daily basis. Our ancestors of generations past, along with indigenous cultures, understood this daily celebration. A celebration of life 
a celebration of rhythms and cycles that guided their daily lives. And above all was a deep and abiding respect for the Earth Mother, for they realized that she was the giver of life and sustenance. So here we are today, finding ourselves in a somewhat disconnected state, disassociated from the natural rhythms and cycles meant to bring guidance and instruction to our lives and to clarify our relationship within the interconnected web of life. Many would agree that technology is probably the culprit. And in general, it seems, as technology advances, our sense of connection to the natural world decreases. And though technology has brought us great advances and conveniences, it may well be the hand that has unplugged us from our source of reference, resulting in a fragmented understanding of this web of life. Hence, most of the problems and maladies of modern life can be traced to this fragmentation. This sense of separateness from the earth, from each other, and from the creative principle has produced untold suffering within humanity. From warfare to Wall Street, we see this played out every day. And every day from the destruction of the rainforest of the Amazon to the poisoning of her waters and oceans, Earth suffers as a result. How much longer will she stand for this abuse? And on a somewhat lighter note, there are many people, especially in urban areas, who have never seen a farm, who have never seen where their food comes from, or have never seen wildlife in their natural habitat. Are we doing ourselves a great disservice by not recognizing this connection? I believe so. So how can we then reestablish this connection? We've all heard the expression, stop and smell the roses. The operative word here is to notice, to simply begin to notice, to begin to notice the beauty of nature all around us, the trees, the flowers, the sky, the feel of the wind on our face, hearing the sounds of life around us, birds, children laughing, looking out this window. For these are attributes of Gaia. Her beauty surrounds us as we walk a nature trail or we plant and tend a garden, putting our hands into the earth. Or we travel, or excuse me, as we revel in the, the rich palette of colors of a beautiful and breathtaking sunset. John O'Donohue states in his book, Beauty, the Invisible Embrace, quote, to behold beauty dignifies your life. It heals you and calls you out beyond the smallness of your own self-limitation. To experience new horizons. To experience beauty is to have your life enlarged. I sense that if we can begin to notice the beauty of nature and honor nature, we can reestablish this daily connection with Mother Earth, just as our ancestors did, 
and begin the healing process for ourselves and this beautiful planet. And not to quote from a Native American elder who said, honor the sacred, honor the earth, our mother, honor all with whom we share the earth, four-legged, two-legged, winged ones, swimmers, crawlers, plant and rock people, walk in balance and beauty. So on this eve of Earth Day, may we forever ponder and uh, realize our connection with the natural world. And may we honor and cherish our beautiful Earth. Thank you. Good morning. I want to thank Bob and Terry for their thoughts and insights into this day. I'm not here to educate you. I'm here to ask two things of you. Mother Earth is a living, breathing thing, and we live on her back. She is changing and evolving all the time. Just look at the volcanoes who destroy and create in the same moment. We are not responsible for everything Mother does, but she does react to what we do, good or bad. I am not going to tell you what you need to do or make predictions about the future, but merely to ask two simple things of you. The first thing is, and many of you are already doing this to a greater or lesser extent, be responsible. None of us can change the past, and the future is not promised. Um, so we must only concern ourselves with being responsible here and now. This congregation has always shown its members, shown that its members uh, know what they need to do. And most do it to the best of their circumstance. Responsibility requires continual self-education. We have many members who are brimming with information and if we don't, we you use are good about, if we don't know something, we go find the answer. We don't let that not knowing stop us. Um, Mother Earth needs us each to be responsible to the best of our ability. Your how you are responsible will look different from how I'm responsible, but that's because we're each in a different place, and there's nothing wrong with that. She also needs us to be compassionate. If you're sitting at home and you find yourself saying, oh, I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. That's because you haven't found your passion yet. Because when you find your passion, those idle moments will be when you're planning and doing what you're passionate about. Um, some of us had to run laps in gym when we were in school, and that was a chore. We hated it. Chores are things we avoid. They're not what we're passionate about. I have a friend who is a marathon runner. And he, that's his passion. He is constantly out there running and trying to figure out how to make his conditioning better. It doesn't tire him. Yes, when he's done with a marathon and he's doing his cool down, he's physically tired, but his soul's not tired. He's planning and tweaking his next routine. He, his passion feeds him and powers him. Um, Kathy... Uh, is passionate about gardening. 
She can tell you all about sustainable planting and that sort of thing. She's a fountain of information. Uh, Sue Benger is passionate about animals. She helps out at animal um, rescue. And if you mention that you have a pet to her, she'll, first thing she says, is it spayed or neutered? And she'll help you with that. But she's also passionate about travel. Clay is passionate about youth justice. Susan Caldwell is passionate about Highland Blessing Dinners. Some of you may be wondering what that all has to do with Mother Earth. It has a lot to do with Mother Earth. Because when people have uh, food insecurity, physical insecurity, emotional insecurity, all their energy is geared towards taking care of that insecurity, which is what anyone would do. When we can help them, they will have all this energy that they've been spending on their insecurities suddenly available to do other things. And that will help the earth. Um, military conflict is a great threat to Mother Earth. Um, just this past month, we had a World War II bomb in Germany having to be diffused. And there are mines from World War I still in the ground that we have people out looking for and trying to defuse. These are scars of Mother Earth. And these things last for generations. Let's see. Uh, there are two big stumbling blocks uh, that get in the way of people's passion. First, we think, oh, what can I do? I'm one little pebble on the beach. What can one pebble do? Well, yeah, we are each one little pebble. But there are millions of pebbles on this earth. And when we each drop our one pebble in the river of need, we build a mighty dam. And when someone sees us drop our pebble, that might inspire them to drop their pebble. The pebbles aren't all the same. Some are granite, some are crystal. They're all different, but they all help. And we need to dam that river of need. Uh, the other stumbling block is we tend to get discouraged because we can't see what we're doing, how it's making a difference. I have a friend that tutors second and third graders in reading and math. And she gets discouraged because she sees these kids one or two years and then they're gone from her life. She doesn't know if she made any difference. I think she does because she had made the kids that come through her know that they are important, that someone cared. And maybe she sparked a learning in one or two of them that they'll carry on. Maybe their circumstances won't let them become a college graduate, but they'll give that love of learning to their kids and maybe one of them will become a doctor who will cure autism or some other condition. And no, my friend will never know this, but that will not in any way diminish what she has started in motion. We are not guaranteed to see the fruit of our trees, but we have to have faith that those trees will blossom in fruit. So all I would ask of you to do is be responsible and passionate. I guess the third thing is to have faith in the cosmos and trust that it will use what energies you give it wisely. <laughs>